want to thank uh, Sarah for challenging us to bring every thought captive unto Jesus Christ last week. I have a friend who says um, uh, he never likes to go very deep into his own mind. It's the roughest place he knows, and he gets beat up every time he goes there. Uh, I'm sure some of us would agree with him, and it's, so it's good to hear that a healthy part of our Christian life is learning to let Christ influence our thoughts. Yeah. Our dear Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that's better together. We want to function the way Christ created the church to function. And to be that kind of church, we need problem-solving leaders. And I pray that you would influence our thinking in that way today. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. John Maxwell wrote this book called The Leadership. And uh, uh, it's about uh, eight changes that leaders need to make so that they can be more effective. And one of his leaderships is called shift from being a ladder climber to a ladder builder. You've all heard the, uh, you've all heard the phrase, uh, climbing the corporate ladder doing what you have to do to keep going toward the top. Well, Maxwell takes that idea and he says, at some point, if you're really going to be influential in life, you need to have a shift in your thinking and you need to stop saying, what can I do to take another step up the rung myself? And he said, we have to start looking at the people around us and saying, what can we do to help them climb the ladder also? When I'm clam climbing the ladder, I keep saying to myself, how high can I go? How high can I go? Can I get that next job? Can I get that next job? Will I get the next promotion? But if I become a ladder holder, I start asking myself, how high will others around me go with a little bit of help? And instead of this just being all about me, what if I look at the other people around me and say, if I held the ladder for them a little bit, how much more could they achieve in life? And then we become ladder extenders. How high will others go with a lot of help? And then the highest level is ladder building. Can I help other people build a ladder that allows them to grow into their full and complete maturity? I think this is a great idea. It's an especially powerful idea for the church. See, it was, God, it was never God's idea for your spirituality to just be about how high you can go spiritually. It was always God's idea for how high can the church go together. What can we do to lift each other up 
What can we do to boost each other? What can we do to help everybody achieve their full spiritual maturity? In the book of Acts, we have some beautiful examples of what it looks like to be better together. And in Acts chapter 6, uh, the scriptures say that um, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. If you read the book of Acts, it was a rapidly growing church. Now let me tell you something about uh, churches that grow quickly. Uh, they create new problems. You cannot grow and not create new problems. But guess what? You can't die and not create new problems. Growing churches create new problems and dying churches create new problems. I just prefer to be part of the problems of a growing church. I think I've shared with you that our church is growing this year at a 25% rate. That means on any given Sunday, we are averaging 25% more than we did last year. And to make that a, a more realistic number, that's about 350 people. We're serving 350 people more every Sunday this year than we did last year. Well, guess what? That creates problems for us. It creates a structural problem. The structure we had the last five years doesn't work anymore because we've outgrown that structure. This has happened in our church multiple occasions. So we've learned over the years when we grow quickly and we don't restructure, we can't hold the new people because we're not serving them right. If we restructure, it allows us to hold the new people because we serve them better. So our elders had just approved some restructuring we're going to do. Um, our campus pastor at Old Brooklyn is, is Katie Brown, and she's coming back to the main campus as our executive pastor because uh, we are restructuring our entire economic system. The way we do our books is 20 years old, and our CPA said, you got to restructure all of that. So she's coming back here to help with that restructuring, and she's going to create our internship program. Our church wants to create an internship program, so we are constantly developing the next new leaders. One of the most difficult things that happens is we outgrow our leaders, we don't have enough leaders, and so uh, we're trying to patch things together. Uh, with this new internship program, we will always develop, uh, be developing a new group of leaders and we'll always have leaders ready when we need them. So that means somebody's got to go to Old Brooklyn. Well, many of you know we were going to start a church in Parma Heights, and, and Jovan was going to lead that. But uh, now Jovan is going to go to Old Brooklyn, and Jovan and uh, Logan Ameline are going to be co-pastors of our Old Brooklyn church. And... All the people that he recruited, if you volunteered uh, to be part of uh, uh, Parma Heights, 
I still want you to go to Old Brooklyn and, and support him there. Uh, what we want to do is uh, COVID hurt our church in Cleveland worse uh, than any of our other campuses. We want to jumpstart that campus, and, and uh, they could easily uh, 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 be averaging 250 a week with this, with this turnaround, this restructuring. So uh, uh, healthy churches are growing, and when healthy churches grow, they have to restructure themselves. Well, the same thing is true in the book of Acts. They were growing, and they had ministry that wasn't getting done. Uh, the Greek widows weren't being taken care of as well as uh, the uh, Jewish widows. And it created a problem in the church. People started gossiping. There were ugly things going around. Uh, uh, people were making accusations. And if the church had not solved that problem and had not restructured itself, it had the potential to ruin the church in Jerusalem. Neglected problems always get bigger. Can you hear this? Neglected problems always get bigger. Um, if we don't fully engage, the problem doesn't go away, it expands. And so uh, the early church said, we're not going to let this get out of hand. We're going to deal with it directly. Problems are normal. Now, I want you to hear me say this. Problems are normal. Do you have problems in your life? It just means you're a human being. Problems are normal. Don't think of problems as, oh, we're not doing something right. This is not, it shouldn't be this way. Problems are a normal part of life. But listen to this. Healthy churches solve problems in healthy ways. Unhealthy churches redefine themselves by their problems. Can you hear this? In a healthy church, leadership teams solve problems in a healthy way. In an unhealthy church, the problem doesn't get solved, it redefines the church. And the church defines itself by the problem it can't solve. Church? And so the, the 12 apostles who were the pastors of the church, they said, we got to get on this. We can't let this slide. So the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see what the, the, the 12 did? They became frontline problem solvers. In every organization, you have, uh, you, uh, you have people who are uh, frontline problem, in every healthy organization, you have people who are frontline problem solvers. They don't dodge the problems. They don't ignore the problems. They move toward the problem. And in our church, uh, uh, I teach the staff again and again and again and again, you are a frontline problem solver. We teach our deacons and elders, you are frontline problem solvers. 
the apostles were the frontline problem solvers. They said, we're, we see the problem, and we're going to take the initiative to do something to correct it. And the very first thing they did to correct this problem was they restated their priorities. Uh, this, look, what I'm teaching you today will help you in your home, in your family, in your job. It'll, it'll help you a million ways. When you're going to solve a problem, the very first thing you do is you restate your priorities. Uh, uh, I'm going to solve this problem, but I'm going to solve this problem based upon what we've already said our priorities are. What are our values? What, what can't we compromise on? We restate uh, what we value the most before we start solving the problem. And that's what the apostles did. Listen to what they said. It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. The apostles said our highest priority is teaching and preaching the scriptures and praying. And we're going to solve this problem, but we're not going to do it in the kind of way that we stop praying and preparing uh, uh, and, and teaching. Uh, we're going to solve it, but we're not going to solve it in a way that we stop being what makes us healthy to begin with. I want to remind you that Christ Church has priorities. Uh, we have a mission statement, and we judge whether we're succeeding or failing by this mission statement. Let me remind you of our priorities. It is our mission to attract people to the excellence of Jesus Christ. Could I remind you of this? I believe that when people see Jesus in his excellence, they are attracted to him. I believe when you see Jesus as he really is, there's something about him that is awesome and it draws your soul. And we say to ourselves as a church, what are we doing to show unchurched people how awesome Jesus Christ is so that they will be willing to give Christ another chance in their life? Do you hear this? I believe every one of you could attract someone to Jesus Christ if you made it your mission in some way to remind them of how wonderful, how beautiful, how majestic Jesus Christ is. When people come into this building, we want them to encounter the excellence of Jesus Christ because we believe it will attract them back to Christ. That's a priority to us. We can't do anything that we can't we can't do anything that undermines our commitment to showing people the excellence of Jesus Christ. The second part of our mission statement is we invite people into the joy of ministry. I want to remind you that every single Christian should be serving Jesus Christ in some way. Every single Christian the Holy Spirit has always already done something in you that makes you a little bit better than other people in some way in your life. And you need to be using that in some way to serve Jesus Christ and other people. If you're not serving Jesus Christ in some way, your Christian life plateaus. 
Can you hear me? If you're not serving Christ in some way, your Christian life starts getting flat and dull. It is in the serving that we, we have to connect with Christ. We need his help. We're praying. We're working with other people. We see the challenge. We see the value of it. And our souls blossom and grow. And so we are absolutely committed to continually asking everyone in this church to find a place to serve Jesus Christ consistently. And we want you to do it in a place that you enjoy doing it. Don't join a ministry that you hate. Why would you do that? Uh, uh, we have all kinds of ministry. Uh, uh, look, if you like the smell of coffee, you're probably better off working in the cafe than you are working in the nursery. If you like the smell of babies, you're probably better off in the nursery than you are in the cafe. I want us all to find a place where we kind of enjoy serving God together. Our third part of our mission statement is uh, we believe in the adventure of faith. Christianity is supposed to be an adventure. It's not supposed to be a dry, dull dragging of yourself through life. Here I am saying it again. If your life is boring, it's your fault. God didn't call you to a boring life. He called you to the adventure of faith. The adventure of faith means you're doing the kind of things that, that cause your faith to grow. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You're engaging in life in a way that your confidence in God, is, it grows every day. But the adventure of faith also means God can trust us with harder and harder stuff. Do you hear that? Uh, I want to be the kind of guy God can trust with the hard jobs. I don't want to be the dude that God says, you know, uh, uh, I I'm going to have to pass on you on this one. Uh, I I I you're just not hoss enough for this. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that God says, uh, uh, you're going to have to sit on the bench this game because uh, I, I just don't, I just can't trust you with this, this big game. Don't we want to be the church that God says, I trust hard tasks with you. I, I trust hard moments with you. I trust hard challenges with you. Here's an example. Um, we're serving about 350 more people every single week than we did last year. But we're serving them at the same level of income that we had last year. So we're trying to serve 350 people with the same income that we had this time last year. And that's a challenge. And God entrusted that challenge with us. I wonder if some of you would be willing to restructure your life a little bit. I wonder if you would be willing to be God's partner as a weekly giver in our church. Just restructure your life a little bit so you can invest every week in what God is doing and, and we can have the resources we need to continue to expand the church and glorify his name. Uh, yes, you will have to restructure your life. Yes, you will have to look at your budget. Yes, you'll have to reconsider some things. But here's what I'm saying. 
That's a healthy thing. Jesus himself said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. Because where a person's treasures are, there will their heart be also. Uh, we believe it, uh, the final part of our, uh, our uh, uh, mission is we believe in a lifestyle of generosity. We do generous things. Uh, we, uh, we just sent another payment in for the next, tuition, the next uh, round of tuition for our kids at the orphanage in Uganda. That came out of the money you gave at uh, Prime the Pump, and we, we paid the tuition for the next round for all the kids at the orphanage uh, because God has been so generous with us. How can we not do that for others? Church. Um, uh, so the problems we have to solve as a church are the problems of a healthy, growing church. We don't start from scratch at every single problem. We start with what we already said our priorities are. How are we going to solve the problems of the future? Number one, we're going to do it by attracting people to the excellence of Christ. Number two, we're going to do it by inviting people into the joy of ministry. Some of you have incredible skills, and if you would volunteer, you could help us solve problems that we couldn't solve without you. We're going, to, we're going to solve problems by living the adventure of faith. We're going to say to God, you can trust us with the hard stuff. We will not let you down. And we're going to solve our problems by each of us continually asking God, uh, are you content with my level of generosity or are you calling me to be a more generous person? Um, and what the 12 said is, because we can't change our priorities, that means we need new leaders. There aren't enough leaders to, to cover all the ministries, so we need new leaders. And so the 12 said to the church, uh, look around. Who has leadership skills? Who's leading in their day-to-day -day life? Who has a history of having led? And he says, the people who have leadership skills, let's choose those people and let them lead in the church in a way that this problem is no longer a problem. These leaders had to have good character. Listen to what they said. We can't just have any old leader. We have to have leaders who have a good reputation. Uh, the leaders in our church bring their reputation from work to church. But they also bring their reputation from church to work. Do you see? They affect each other. That's why our leaders have to have a good reputation. They have to be full of the Spirit. We want leaders that the Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts. And we want leaders who are wise enough to think their way through problems and not be reactionary. These are all problem-solving qualities. And then the 12 said, these new leaders we will appoint to the duty. 
We'll work with them and make sure they have the oversight they need so they can succeed in, in their uh, ministry. All right. This is the model the church has used for 2,000 years. And this is a model I'm standing up and asking you to be part of today. I'm saying there are people in this room who have incredible leadership skills. You've proven you have great leadership skills. You've led at work. You've led in society. You've led in organizations. You've, you have a, you've proven that you can lead. Uh, you also have a good reputation. You also are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're also open to learning. You're open to being wise and not reactionary. You need to volunteer to lead in our church. There's no reason for you not to share those leadership skills with what God wants to do in this generation to make the, uh, the church thrive and incredibly influ influential. I'm not asking you to quit your job. I'm asking you to go on doing a great job at work. But the things that make you a great leader at work, I'm asking you to give some of those to Jesus Christ in serving in our church. Some of you have a remarkable talent for hospitality. People just are, they're comfortable around you. They enjoy being around you. If we're going to do our all-church emphasis, we need about twice as many life group leaders as we have right now. We need about twice as many so that everybody in the church who wants to be in a group can be in a group. Now, some of you, you have the gift to lead a group. You, you're talented. It's easy for people to be around you. Would, you. would you consider, just for this six or seven week stretch, to be a life group leader? You say, oh, Doc, I, 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 I don't know enough. Okay, we're going to make videos. Uh, can you play a video? Uh, 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 okay, I guess that's a prerequisite. Uh, 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 I'm going to be a life group leader, but I have a partner in my life group who plays the videos. Uh, so if you can't play a video, but you can recruit somebody who can, you're just like me, and, we, and we'll do this together. All right. Uh, uh, we're going to do Charles Swindoll's book, So You Want to Be Like Jesus. And we're going to call it, instead of trying to be a good tr Christian, let's train to be good Christians. And we're going to show these videos, we're going to have discussion questions, and it's just basically going to be all of us getting together once a week and trying to talk about what, uh, uh, what are the basic skills that help me become a better Christian. Some of you, some of you need to sign up and lead a group. You need to for the good of your own soul, and you need to because it turns you from a ladder climber into a ladder builder for others. Other people's lives will be changed because you led a group. Other people will grow because you led a group. Your group will thank you at the end that you led a group. And if they don't, I will. All right. This is the New Testament way of the church solving problems. We recruit, equip, and deploy new leaders 
new leaders build new teams, and new teams create new ministries, and the church continues to thrive and thrive and thrive. It's God's idea. We didn't invent it. When I ask you to give part of your life away like this, I'm only asking you to do what the New Testament said we're supposed to do. You see, my primary work as pastor is to devote myself to prayer and the ministry of the word. I teach a life group every Tuesday morning at uh, 6.30. We get together, we're studying through the book of Genesis, and uh, we pray for each other. Uh, uh, The men in my group live by a principle. We better pray for each other or we may not get prayed for. Uh, So every Tuesday morning, we pray for each other. Uh, You say, Doc, I can't get out of bed at at 6.30. Oh, yes, you can. Uh, Put on your big boy pants. uh, 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 All right. The best thing I can do for this church is uh, use my spiritual gifts church the best thing you can do for this church is use your spiritual gifts what does God want me to do God wants me to show up here and preach good sermons God wants me to pray for this church to pray my guts out for this church God wants me to develop young men and women middle-aged men and women uh, who used to be young men and women uh, uh, to, to serve and lead in this church that's my primary job but do you know we have thousands of other things that have to be done. Do you understand on any given week, six to 700 people in this church volunteer to do something. And they all have to be led. They don't ju- they're not ants and just come in here, sniff around and do whatever needs to be done. They're human beings. And they need good leadership. And if, you, and if we lead them well, they'll continue to volunteer. If we don't lead them well, they'll have bad volunteer experiences and they'll go, oh, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Ever happened to you? You volunteered, it was a bad experience, and you go, Whew. Wise churches recognize the value of leadership teams. I'm not asking you to be a leader all by yourself. I'm not asking you to volunteer to be a leader and we put you out here and say, uh, okay, good luck, sink or swim. We threw you into the deep end and uh, we don't do that. We create leadership teams because the New Testament creates leadership teams. Look, verse five. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The leadership plan resonated with the church. It pleased the whole gathering. This is an important thing. I can teach you what the Bible says, but everyone in this room has to decide what are you going to do with that. In the New Testament church, in Acts, 
the suggestion, the, the call for new leaders, it pleased the church. People in the church said, yeah, that's right. We're going to help. Uh, if we're going to thrive, how do you respond when the Holy Spirit whispers to your heart and says, you could be an, a leader. You could lead a life group. You could lead a ministry team. You could make a difference. All right. When you hear that whisper, does your heart say yes? Or does your heart say, uh, I'm kind of busy. If I do that, I won't be able to do this. Uh, I don't want to give up this or that. You see, this is so important, church. If we're going to accomplish the agenda of God in our generation, when we hear the truth, we have to respond to it. We have to say, if that's what God wants, then I'm willing to give it a try. Church, some of you this morning, what I'm saying resonates somewhere in your heart. Now, the next thing you have to do is you have to say, I'm willing to give it a try. Oh, but Doc, I don't want to leave my life group. Okay, maybe you don't. But maybe you need to. Maybe it's time for you to cl stop climbing on somebody else's ladder and start building a ladder for other people around you to climb on. Church, can you hear me? Uh, I want this to resonate in your heart the way it resonated in the church in the book of Acts. It's interesting me, to me that two of these leaders, by being deacons, eventually became uh, uh, first-tier leaders in the church. You know that Stephen preached a sermon that was so powerful, it created a riot in Jerusalem. And he was the first martyr. They stoned him. A deacon leader who grew into his full potential as a deacon became the, the, the face leader of the church. And the religious leaders were so enraged with him that they stoned him. Now, I've been here 41 years, and we've never had anyone stoned. Um, doesn't mean that some didn't need to be, but uh, we've never had anyone stoned. Uh, you're probably not going to be stoned. But I tell you what, if you do it well, you probably will grow, and God will give you greater and greater opportunities to lead. The second person in this list is a man named Philip. Philip became a, a, a very influential man. He was one of the first ones to take uh, the gospel to Samaria. He also was used by the Holy Spirit to share Jesus Christ with an Ethiopian eunuch who went back to Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is Christian today 2,000 years later because Philip, a deacon in the church, led an Ethiopian to Christ who was very influential, and that Ethiopian went back to Ethiopia and shared the gospel with thousands of people, and Ethiopia was, has been a Christian country ever since. Who knows, who knows 
what influence you might have and what influence you might grow into if you would say yes to God on this issue. When the church is led well, it continues to grow. Look at this, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I have to read that to you one more time. Some of you were daydreaming. Listen at this. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Listen, when the pastors pastored and the deacons led ministry teams, the church grew and increased. Do you see that? It was never God's idea for one leader to lead everything. It was always God's idea for the church to have leadership teams and for those leadership teams to lead the church so well that it continues to serve people and people continue to become Christians. That's, our, that's the key to our, our future. Do you hear? Some of you sit here today feeling uh, 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 relatively unimportant, and I'm looking at you and saying, the key to our future is in you. If you will hear God's call, if you will respond the way God wants you to respond, if you will give back to God some of the best that he's given to you, we will do exactly what the church in Acts did. We will increase in number, and we will multiply greatly. And many people that nobody ever believed would become Christians will become Christians. Our growth requires new leaders. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus Christ, will you lead? Our, 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 um, our, uh, the success of our all-church emphasis requires uh, uh, group leaders. Will you lead a group? Uh, uh, and will you do it out of love and faithfulness to Jesus Christ? The church found God's lost kids all over Jerusalem because the leadership was right. Here I am telling you again, there are thousands of people sitting at home this morning drinking coffee. I used to say reading the newspaper, but I don't even know if anybody reads the newspaper anymore. Watching ESPN. Ah, but in their heart, there is an emptiness. And it isn't God that they're unhappy with. It's church. And I can tell you after doing this my whole life, here's what they get unhappy with that church. It's not led well. When the church isn't led well, good things don't happen and people become disillusioned. Church? When the church is led well, people have good experiences. They enjoy being around other good people. They have meaningful moments. They feel enriched. And they thrive in Christ Jesus. Um, uh, it, it got so good in the church of Jerusalem that priests 
who served in the temple started becoming Christians. People that no one ever believed would be a Christian, a priest in the temple, they started becoming Christians. They started giving their life to Christ. They started wanting to grow and understand this new thing. They started to love Christ who before they had hated. Church. Every church needs great pastors. And I believe this church has great pastors. I, I, I believe we have an above average leadership team in our, as in, on our staff. But every church needs great ministry leaders. There's no such thing as a great church who only has a great pastor. All great churches have great deacons and elders. They have great life group leaders. They have great team leaders. They have men and women who will lead other men and women to do important things so that the church can thrive. And today I'm telling you, we are better together. We are better together when leaders lead in the kind of way that Christ solves problems. People become Christians. People grow up in their faith. And God is glorified in his church. Our dear Heavenly Father. In this quiet moment, as your spirit passes over this building, I pray that you will convince men and women today. I pray that you'll stir up their spiritual gift and they will be discontent until they say yes to you. I pray that uh, you'll double the number of life group leaders we have. I pray that you raise up new uh, leaders for every ministry in this church. I pray that we'll be able to start ministries we couldn't dream of starting because we have leaders who create good teams and lead in the way that people have uh, uh, wonderful experiences. Then I pray that it would all result in more people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and being people who genuinely live out their faith in the world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.